Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. On this episode, we'll be discussing identity in The Hunger Games. Yes. So how do you define identity? I'm not going to be very eloquent here, but like things that you associate yourself with Hmm. and something that maybe makes you feel like you and parts of yourself, I guess, that are meaningful to you, right? Because you don't necessarily identify with, I'm a broccoli lover, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, what about you? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking just kind of the way that you see yourself and how you interact with the world. Using your example of broccoli lover, I don't typically <laughs> interact with the world with how much I love broccoli. That doesn't come up that often. It doesn't? It doesn't. Yeah. I do love broccoli, but <laughs> it's not that common a thing. Uh, whereas my race, my gender, mm-hmm. these are things that tend to affect the way I interact with other folks and with the world itself in ways that are more kind of constant. And so they're, I think, clearer parts of my identity. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, I think how it actually operates in the world is also what people identify you as, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it not only comes from yourself and how you interact with the world, but it also is how the world interacts with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess we'll get into our analysis, starting with our quote. This quote is an example of one of Katniss's mantras that she uses throughout to kind of help focus herself and reaffirm her identity. My name is Katniss Everdeen. I'm 17 years old. My home is District 12. I was in the Hunger Games. I escaped. The Capitol hates me. And I think this is powerful not only as a kind of mantra and a tool to help her kind of focus through her trauma, Mm-hmm. but also a way of regaining the identities that she has after so much is put on her through the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to me it's so interesting the order in which things go, mm. you know, that it's name first, and then she went to age, then she went to where she's from, then she went to what she'd been through. And that's always, like when I was in college, a few things that I had participated in through a program that I was a part of, which was multi-ethnic leadership. There were a few times when we did exercises and stuff where we were looking at ways that we identified. And, and it was always interesting to just think about what are the first things that come to mind and why do we choose the order that we choose? Yeah. It's funny because it makes me think now of uh, early chat rooms, ASL, (laughs) (laughs) age, sex, location. Of course, that's what it makes you think of. Because, yeah, these are the kinds of things that people expect to be core identifiers for you, Mm -hmm. especially on a platform like the Internet. (laughs) But (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Well, I mean, this kind of goes right into my character. Okay. Which is Katniss. Oh, hey, Everdeen. yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, we've talked about Katniss a lot, but too bad she's the main character and we <laughs> get her thoughts. So I want to talk about her because she has so many different identities. In, and I think it's really interesting how she starts with ones and then there are, other, there are ones that others give her and there are other ones that she kind of develops into. And so it's like, 
the book starts and she has very, I think, strong identities as like a sister, as the provider for the family, as mm-hmm. like a hunter, as like this strong girl from the seam. And then as she unfortunately is forced into the Hunger Games, then things are put on her and that would be like volunteer right that's mm-hmm. not an identity that most people have in Panem. Mm-hmm. and then obviously victor and then there's like star-crossed lover and then from the the governmental capital side is like threat or mm-hmm. rebel and then you know rebel leader for those who are looking to her as basically a rallying cry right mm-hmm. and so i think it's just interesting because Sina helped give her the identity of the girl on fire and also helped give her the identity of the Mockingjay. And she had parts of it herself from mm-hmm. what she actually did in the games, from her pin, which came from Madge. But I think the way he crafted her outfits, that really helped solidify that identity in the minds of the people. And so I think through those, she felt empowered with those identities. But then there were other ones like, oh, well, now I need to have this identity of just this almost like silly girl who's just a star-crossed lover and Mm -hmm. didn't even know what she was doing. She was just so madly in love. And and that identity she she puts on like for protection, not only for herself, but for her family and, and those she loves. And yeah, I think... Ultimately, she ends up kind of having, it's not exactly stated, but kind of having an identity as survivor, Mm. which I think a lot of the victors do, but her more so than anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because talking about how she relates to the world, this is also something she's constantly navigating, right? She looks at PETA as the baker boy, as not from the scene, like, he is different from her identity in yep. these very important ways to her. And she looks at the other tributes as what district they're from, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, But also giving them identifiers based off of the way that she examines them. Foxface is a good example of this. And so her kind of way of interacting with others definitely comes from her own identity and her own visions of what are important to her even as people try to put things on her and I wonder how much of the reason why it was so hard for her to interact with PETA after the first games was because this was an identity forced on her so she couldn't even grapple with what she herself felt because she was so busy playing up this character this identity that she had to yeah protect people yeah, for sure. And and I think that kind of reminds me too of a, a in in the second book when Darius is placed as an Avox there and she just doesn't want to talk or interact with PETA mm-hmm. then. She could interact with Hamich because they're from the seam. Mm-hmm. Like they were a part of the hob. They had a different identity that resonated with each other and She's like, Pete doesn't understand this part about me. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just much harder to interact, which, yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Well, my plot discussion was going to be about the outfits that the tributes wear uh, while mm. they're riding on the chariots. Mm-hmm. 
because I think this is an interesting place to talk about identities placed upon people. Yeah. Because every district is given outfits that corresponds to the product that that district is known for, right? Mm -hmm. So typically District 12 is coal miners because that's their, their main product. And then we have the water in District 4 and we have farming in District 11. I think it's so clear because this is this is the time when they are basically presented to the capital and they are presented as simply a man and a woman, actually a boy and a girl that are representing the economic goods that are provided by their district. Yeah. They are so objectified to be tied so clearly with what they provide for the capital. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's such a great way of showing some of the problems of the Hunger Games because the Hunger Games is not just about making these children kill each other which is definitely awful yeah and big problem but it's about objectifying them it's about taking them down and seeing them only as commodities and as tied to commodities and they from the get-go are presented in that way and and that's why Sinna is such an important character because he utilizes and subverts this ritual that goes along with the games in a way that sheds light on how this objectification occurs and how powerful it is to gain some kind of agency or some kind of voice despite it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating because it's a dehumanizing identity mm-hmm. which i mean i would like to think is less common but i don't think is actually true necessarily <laughs> but i think is definitely one of the most damaging ways that identities can be used right because you're identifying others in a dehumanized way for how they serve you mm. you know yeah i think it it really was helped enable capital citizens to just look at people in the districts as what they're good for to them mm-hmm. rather than their actual people and only celebrate them for the productivity that benefits their life. Yeah, that's very bad. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag that's bad. Hashtag that's bad. <laughs> But I also think it's it's interesting because we see the chariots twice. We see the 74th Hunger Games where all the tributes are being commodified. But the 75th Hunger Games, there's also the added element of these are also characters who have relationships, identities that are, again, placed upon them by the capital that they have to or often will ascribe by as well. And I think Phoenix a great example of this because... The, the costumes that we see, at least in the film version of the Hunger Games, the 74th Games, for that district, for District 4, are like these big flowing blue costumes. <laughs> but when Finnick comes oh, out... Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's the thing, is that when Finnick comes out, he is showing as much skin as he possibly Basically can. Basically just in a net that's knotted in the right places. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> I think that's not just because... That's how they would dress anyone from mm-hmm. District 4. They're dressing it because it's, it's Finnick. And mm-hmm. he is known. He has an identity of being the lover, of being, 
you know, this person who is sexualized and objectified in this other way. This is something that Katniss talks about other times, that some people are just literally painted and objectified and, and sexualized in those ways as well. But Finnick is a character who we see really see a distinction of this is who he is. This is how he's introduced to Katniss. This is how he introduces himself to Katniss. Mm-hmm. And we see how that identity that can be placed upon these victors or these tributes is so powerful. And again, that's why I think that this is this is a ritual in almost like a sacred kind of way for the capital of this is presenting these children, these objects for slaughter. Well, I think that's a, that would be the interesting question, too. How would the capital citizens react differently if they weren't in these, like, district costumes? Mm. If it were just kids in their normal everyday clothes coming out, you know? I mean, that would be so great to see if, like, in the prequel book that we're getting, we see how earlier stages of the games, they didn't have this ritual set up yet. That would be fascinating. And they're seeing the negative ramifications for the capital of, oh, they are actually seeing these tributes as human, and that's mm-hmm. something that we need to stop. How can we stop that? Oh, let's tie them to what they provide for us. Well, exactly, because it doesn't feel like games otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right? You need those different... I mean, even if you think about all sorts of games we play, like, you're on this team, or you're on, you know, like, you have to have some way of differentiating the people so that you can choose sides, or you can... Root for someone. Yeah, or so it just can feel more theatrical. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awful. So, (laughs) why don't we go into our question? Sure. (laughs) My question is, where do you see the nature of an identity being given versus chosen affecting the characters? Hmm. It's interesting because I think a character who actually really exemplifies this aspect is PETA. Because Mm -hmm. PETA, you know, he has this discussion on the rooftop where he says, I just want to show, do something to show that I'm still me. Right. He's clearly grappling with this idea of I still want to choose part of my identity. They have put identity on me and there's still something that I want to choose here. I don't want what they do to make me change. Exactly. Yet he chooses to change himself in certain ways or to show certain parts of himself. And one of the great things about Peter is that he he can utilize truth in ways that are powerful by bringing up the way that he feels about Katniss Right. That's not just him playing it up. That's true. Mm -hmm. But he also knows that it can be useful for him. Yeah. And he does it in ways that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's the thing is that for the 75th games, he brings up the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And that is not truthful. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And... That is a way for him to... And that's not an identity that she would have wanted to have. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right? That's one that he is putting on her. Yeah. For what he believes is her own good. But, yeah, it's just something that, again, is is kind of put on you Mm -hmm. in a different way. But he's the one who's doing it. And, again, he's kind of choosing this. This uh, showing this relationship in a certain way. And I think that that is very interesting because Katniss does have so many, if not all, of her identities placed upon her. And Pete is able to utilize what is true about him in ways, I think, that are 
interesting and one of the things I really love about his character is that he can play the game, but he also can be very sincere. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't always lose himself, even as he plays the game. Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking? Well, I was thinking, we were talking about Finnick before, and I think he is such a classic example of an identity that has been forced upon him, that has been given to him, that he does not want, right? As this promiscuous, you know, quote-unquote playboy, but that's not what he is at all, Mm -hmm. and he's forced to do that to protect basically anybody he cares about so it's just interesting that that identity was given to him and because he can't do anything about it unless he wants to sacrifice the safety of of his loved ones Mm -hmm. he then plays into it he didn't have to you know walk over to Katniss and with sugar cubes and like whisper to her and do all of that but like it brings those interesting questions of like how long you can have to act in a certain way and then to the point where it does kind of change your behavior and maybe partially like how you see yourself or maybe for him it's a way that he can still try to enjoy some things by making someone else feel uncomfortable or Mm. whatever it is to not only be the identity that's placed upon him, but in some ways to make it his own. Or, I mean, but also, like, he even, to some degree, had that, I- not the, not the, like, promiscuous identity, but, like, this beautiful person, mm-hmm. right, from his, the first games he was in, which really helped him win those games because he had so many sponsors because everybody was just like, oh, he's so beautiful. And his his prep team really played that up. Mm-hmm. And so, like, seeing how that was there and then it was just exploited and then forced him into an identity that he never would have chosen for himself, but he has to learn to operate in. Yeah, it's interesting because I wonder how much of his charm and flirtation is his personality because mm-hmm. he does see have part of that with Katniss you know when they're just in District 13 but was that developed you exactly. know over like 10 years or however long it was because that's I think that's a really interesting question because was it something that his prep team was like this is a skill that you have this is what we want to play up or was it just like you're beautiful let's give you training on how to how to flirt how to how to utilize that yeah that would be something I'd, I'd love to see more of do you have a headcanon of which I might be? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I think I see him as naturally flirtatious and playful. Obviously, he plays it up and he's learned how to, like, be seductive and, and things like that. But I think that his joking style with Katniss, it feels sincere to me and, and not just... True, but people can change, Of course, right? yeah, That's yeah, yeah. The... But I don't know. I just, I think that, that, that that'd be an interesting dynamic of him showing up and his mentors actually asking what you're good at and him being like um i mean i'm charming and maybe them kind of being like all right well let's utilize that well but that's also the interesting thing is that ideas of identity and all of that are still being developed at that age because i think he wasn't he like 14 or something he he was like a fairly young i think so yeah victor and so it's like that hadn't been established yet, right? Mm. And so, so many of his formative years going into adulthood 
he already had this identity, you know? So it's it's hard to know what came first, right? That's so true. And, and yeah, he is such a different character because he is someone who is technically in a like a young adult, mm-hmm. not still a child the way Katniss is. Yeah, um, but barely. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> and his, so much of his maturation has been in this system. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, because character. like so much of who we are, I think happened between you know high school and end of college right and then those mm-hmm. were those years where he was already given that identity so yeah yeah i don't know who knows very interesting well my compelling question for you is do you think that katniss ever accepted the identity of mockingjay i do i think she did, but I think it was her own rather than just a amalgamation of all of the different aspects that people would put into what the Mockingjay meant for different communities. That was the whole point of Cinna before he died, telling Plutarch or the rebels not to show her the outfits and all of his drawings and everything of the Mockingjay until she decided for herself Mm. to become it and it's hard because some of it was not what she planned (laughs) basically all of it was not what she planned but I think she did start to feel empowered with it Mm. and that this is an identity that she can step into and leverage to continue to protect the people that she cares about Mm. And I think that is such a core part of who she has always felt that she is. Like, she's a protector, right, of her family. When they were going to starve to death, she, as this little 11 or 12-year-old girl, was the only person to step up to do something about it. Later, you know, she she also does want to bring the capital down. But a lot of it was also, well, I can agree to be this Mockingjay and bargain for these other things that are important to me. So I think I think she did choose it, but the Mockingjay was not only, oh, this person who will just lead us to victory, which is how so many other people saw it, or, you know, from the government perspective, the Mockingjay as this threat. I think both of those were part of her identity as the Mockingjay, but she also had other parts of her in there that is just her defiance. Mm. And I think she also felt so much better knowing that she had Sinna's support and she had she has these other people's support. She, even though she didn't believe in herself, like Peta had said, she still has no idea the effects she can have. Mm-hmm. And she was starting to see part of that or just seeing it as an opportunity and taking it, which is, I think, very much in her character. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that it's interesting because the place for me that I I really see her actually kind of becoming, as you mentioned, the Mockingjay as it would be to her, not the Mockingjay as a propaganda piece or what have you. Mm Mm-hmm but is when the hospital gets bombed and then she starts to fight back. Yeah. Right? She goes against her orders to do whatever she can to destroy those 
those planes, those hovercraft. And I think this shows her as kind of accepting this this figure because one, this is the thing that the Mockingjay would do. The Mockingjay would not just sit idly by and protect herself if she can do something. But two, she has this sense of she can do something. It's up to her to take these things down. Sure, all these there's all these gun emplacements and things like that, but her and her bow and arrow are going to take down some hovercraft. But I mean, I think they're bombers, but sure. Bomber hovercrafts. <laughs> hovercrafts are the way that they get around. It's like a plane. We have plane bombers and plane fighters. I mean, we don't know. Have you looked into all of the vehicles of <laughs> Pan Am? Anyways. Anyways. Yeah, I just, I think that that's a moment where she kind of does take on that identity in a way that isn't even necessarily conscious, but is powerful. The other way, time that we kind of see her do that is when she's talking in District 2 outside the nut. And she's trying to get them to like lay down their arms and things like that. And I think that there, it's not quite as natural or as accepted. And that might be one of the reasons why it isn't as successful, because she gets shot. But yeah, I don't know. What were you thinking? Well, yeah, I think that from that District 8 example, also she was the Mockingjay there because she had a message for Snow. Mm-hmm. She wanted to talk directly to him and threaten him, you know, and just show her defiance. And I think that is why people rallied behind her. No one else was doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, other people could have and other people could have tried, but it wouldn't have had the same impact. But it's her in the moment showing her defiance. And that's why the Mockingjay pairs so well with it, because this was something that the Capitol never intended to exist, right? They had their Jabberjays, then there were Mockingbirds, and then they combined for this species that is kind of a slap in the face to the Capitol. The whole thing around it was just a huge embarrassment. And and another example and of... And she is exactly that. It's like, oh, she's this girl from District 12. She's just supposed to be a tribute. Mm-hmm. Not even supposed to win because she's from District 12 and no girl from District 12 has ever won, I think. And then she becomes the most dangerous person in the capital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and like a Mockingjay, she in some ways resulted from the ways that the capital is trying to oppress people. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. They, it was their tools of oppression turned on them, and or result the results of their their oppression. And I think that that is that's also a really really great aspect of that symbol. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we go to our missed opportunities? So my missed opportunity, because I was thinking so much about Katniss, mm-hmm. I just wish that we got to see more of her reacting to her changes of identity Mm. because i think that that can be some of the most like difficult and painful things that people experience for example when people lose abilities whether it's through illnesses accidents or just age and how that makes identity shift and yeah it can be very painful or unraveling or difficult and I think we get to see some of that but so many of her core like original identities that she had herself 
sister, provider, protector, all of these things that were taken from her in a lot of ways because of, one, her sister was killed, but also because she lost a lot of abilities through the trauma that she experienced. And yeah, I think it would have just been interesting to see the new ways that she conceived of herself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. My Missed Opportunity is less about Katniss. It's actually about uh, the people of District 13. Because I would have been interested in seeing how after 75 years, how much did they identify themselves with Pan Am? Hmm. Yeah. How much were they their own community, 13, versus part of the districts versus part of Pan Am as a whole? Where do they have at least stories of nationality or identity there that could very well be fabricated, right? Coin's desire was all for power, but in order to get a whole district to do this kind of revolutionary act, it has to be on for more than just that. There has to be, you know, ideas behind it. And so I wonder what those ideas are and how they identify. Are they identifying themselves as liberators, as countrymen and women, as people who are you know, themselves doing this for their own survival because they need access to resources? Like, how are they identifying themselves in relation to the other districts and to the capital after 75 years of being essentially separate? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And how do the rest of the districts see them? Mm -hmm. Because I might be a little annoyed if I have suffered under all of this and then these people saunter in and they're like, oh, yeah, we're a part of Pan Am and we've struggled too. And it's like, um, you didn't have to deal with any of this. You didn't have to send any children to the Hunger Games. You know, what would be, what, 150 kids or plus, right? Because the, the 50th anniversary was in there too. So, mm-hmm. like, even more than 150 kids, like, that your district has watched die i could see that there would be conflict over that if they want to claim that identity of like well we're just like you when it's like actually you haven't suffered the same way we have and i mean culturally it's going to be very different Mm -hmm. because district 13 had a very specific way of doing everything and they were so military based that that would be such a clash with every other district except two Mm mm-hmm Yeah, and I think you even see Katniss kind of do a little bit of that, where she is like, you've had all these weapons and you haven't done anything, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, you you claim to be an ally, but we've been suffering for 75 years, and what have you been doing sitting here? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I guess seeing more of of those interactions, more of those ideas and concepts would be uh, be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose we should go on to our takeaways. What's your takeaway? What lesson have you learned from this conversation? I guess my takeaway is, I don't know, maybe examining more the identities that I resonate with Mm. and think about, are these things that other people have given me or are these things that society has given me, that individual people have given me, things that I have chosen myself? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's funny. I was originally thinking about kind of how, what identities I place on others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But after you said that, I realized like, oh, yeah, I'm 
an Enneagram nine, I, do I have an identity? Like what identities <laughs> do I place on myself? You know, like, yeah, that's what, a good question. What, uh, well, and that's fascinating too, because on so many different personality tests, you know, say what you will about personality tests, but like you often am right in the middle. I'm you're, everything. You're either right in the middle or you like, it'll be this one time and I'll be this, this, this other time. Whereas for me, usually it's like very, I can read the description and be like, oh yeah, that's me. Or, oh no, that's not me. I'm just like very specific in my identities and like, I feel them very strongly. Mm-hmm. Whereas yours are much more fluid. Am I a non-person? Maybe. I have no actual personality. (laughs) Or I have all the personalities. I don't think you want to have all the personalities. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we uh, go on to what we'll be talking about next week then? Okay, so we are going to be going back to Avatar Last Airbender and possibly Legend of Korra as Mm -hmm. well. We are going to be looking at Despair. No. Aw, so sad because it's such a happy show. But yeah. there are there are moments of despair, so that'll be interesting. For sure. Definitely. Alright, well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geek between the lines. Or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can also get all the extra content and goodies that we send out to all of our wonderful patrons, and that helps the show to maintain its sustainability and to hopefully produce more content in the future. This month, I, for example, I made a blog post all about my love for a very Potter musical. <laughs> so if you have or have not seen those uh, those musicals, uh, you can check it out and read about why I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. And we also want to thank all of those who have given us ratings and reviews and challenge you to add your rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners, so we'd be extremely grateful if you did that. Until next week, geek out! out.